Manners maketh man. I actually first came across that slogan in high school. Um, so my high school was a place where I experienced a lot, um, a place where I learned how to navigate society. Um, but one of the biggest things or biggest impressions it had on me um, was its slogan, which was manneth, manneth? manners maketh man. As you walk into the assembly hall, through the wooden doors and the stained glass windows, right in front of you on the stage, so picture this, in the middle was a prancing lion or whatever it was, which is a logo, and around that was this slogan, manners maketh man. It's a school's ethos, it's mantra, so much so that on the principal's welcome on the website it says, we provide students with an education that is built on a tradition of courtesy and mutual respect. Hence our motto, manners maketh man. You see, high school didn't teach me manners. Um, that was my upbringing and culture, so to say. It's just part of who you were growing up, yeah? You learn manners, you learn respect, particularly for those that are older than you. You ask for something with respect. You get it and you show respect by appreciating what you've got or what you've been given. But we were taught to have manners. And in today's context, or the context of what we're speaking about, we're speaking about thanksgiving. How we show gratitude. So we're taught for the most part that you show gratitude in relation to a specific event, right? So someone does something for you and the appropriate response is thank you. Someone opens a door for you. You often say thank you. Doesn't always happen, but you ought to say thank you. Someone does something or gives you something, you say thank you or express some form of gratitude. But we've all been in those situations where someone does something for you and you've said your thank you and they act as if they, you owe them something more, right? And it's like, uh, no, jog on. Like, I've said my thank you, let's move on, let's continue as we were and if our past collides, so be it. But in thinking about today, it had me wondering about the definition of gratitude or thankfulness and whether it's the same that we understand it in the Bible. And broadly speaking, it is. But as I was researching and studying, I found that there were actually two major instances of the word, gratitude or thankfulness in the Bible. There's gratitude that is centered around what Christ did on the cross. So we're grateful or full of grace, as the definition would have it, because of the work of the cross. And if you look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 7, should be on the screen, we read, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you overflow with thankfulness. So you start, according to this passage, at the acceptance of Jesus Christ, which means that you, that you understood your need for a saviour. And that saving work began where? At the cross. And as a result of that saving work, we should overflow 
with thankfulness. When we think about what Jesus has done, we should overflow with thankfulness. When we think about how he saved our lives, how he spared us from what we would have been, some of us only have to look at what the people we grew up with and we can see what God has done for us. I only have to look at some of my old friends and I can see what God has done for me. The life he saved me from and what that should result in is an overflowing of thankfulness. There's that song that says, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my very soul shall shout, hallelujah, praise God for saving me. That's a response for what Christ has done. See, we have to be thankful for the cross because unless you were perfect and you came to faith because you thought "Mm, it might be a decent idea. We were all in need of a saviour. And Christ died for us. And at this point, I think it's important to think and realize why Christ died. Because there are a lot of people who say, I'm too messed up for Christ to love me. But what they fail to realize is a sequence of events. Because it wasn't that we were born and then Christ died, and then he, sorry, we were born, we committed all our sins, and Christ came and then died because of what we've done. Before any of us were ever born, before any of us had ever committed any sin, before we were even on the minds of our mothers and fathers, Christ died. You see, it's a bit like a bank account, right? So all of us in this room have a bank account, okay? And deposited in that bank account is such a vast amount of money that when you look at the available balance and the current balance it says dot 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 and then you look down the the statement and there's one deposit of such a vast amount when you look up it's just debits 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 and we try and outspend that but there's nothing that can do to change the balance because Jesus's love for us on the cross covered up every sin that we would ever commit irrespective of where you are, what you've done or where you will be, Christ's love is so vast and so great that it's already covered up those sins that we would commit. And there are some people that say, I'm too messed up. That's not the truth. Because Christ's love is so great for us that he's covered up all our sins, both past, present and future. And so... Christ has already paid the price for what we've done. And as Christians, it's important that we start at that place of gratitude for the work of the cross. But you see, we shouldn't necessarily stop there in our expression of gratitude. And we see that there's another instance of the word thanksgiving. And the other other definition is active, grateful language to God. And what that places a weight on is how we speak, doesn't it? Because the idea of active language suggests that we're always speaking, always showing gratitude. In every conversation that we have, we're showing our gratitude for what God has done for us. Or at least on a regular basis, what should typify us as children of God is thankfulness for what God has done. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, 
what? The mouth speaks. And what does that mean? That means that the way in which we speak is a direct representation of what our hearts are full of. And so the idea of thanksgiving or thankfulness suggests that our hearts ought to be so full of thankfulness and gratefulness in order that we actively speak about the goodness of God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 4. It says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. What does that say? It says that what typifies you should not be obscene stories or crude jokes that are actually, in fact, quite dangerous for us as Christians. That actually make you fit in slightly with the crowd, don't they? So you're at work and someone's telling a crude joke and you think, if I don't go along with it, I'll stand out. And so we tell these crude jokes or, or strange stories to fit in. But it says these aren't for you, these aren't befitting of you, but actually what is befitting of who you are, what is right for who you are as a child of God, is thanksgiving. But then the definition takes it a step further and says that thankfulness or thanksgiving is an act of worship. See, we often think of worship purely in the context of singing songs. And that's not necessarily bad, but it's an incomplete picture of what worship is. Because what we fail to realize if we only think about worship as songs is that our lives ought to be worship to God. We ought to live our lives in worship to God. The word worship actually comes from two words and it's worthy and ascribe. So ultimately what it means is that you ascribe the worthiness of God to him. And so we are to demonstrate God's worthiness. And so we are able then to see worship for what it ought to be. And that's how we live our lives as Christians. In Romans 12 and verse 1 it says, And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifices the kind he will find acceptable, that is truly the way to worship him. So that is, our lives ought to be worship to God. And if we start with the principle that the word worship is to denote or demonstrate worthiness, that passage actually says, we demonstrate God's worthiness by the way in which we live our lives. And our lives are to be living sacrifices which are holy and pleasing to God. So that shifts the emphasis or suggestion away from the fact that worship is about singing songs only and places the onus in how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis and becomes about how we demonstrate the worthiness of God. And when we say the worthiness of God, it dictates how we show that God is deserving of attention. God is deserving of our affection. God is deserving of all honour, all praise, all glory from now until eternity. Because you know what? Everything, when we speak, we're always demonstrating worthiness to something. Always. So if you're, if you're going through a situation and 
all you talk about is how bad your situation is. What you're saying is your situation is worthy of your attention, is worthy of all your, your, your emotion and effort. And that's why it's important that when we go through situations, we find a way to give God praise in that situation. Because what you're actually saying is irrespective of what I'm going through, God, you are still worthy of praise. God, you are still worthy of glory. God, you are still worthy of honour. And that passage in Romans 1 says that we demonstrate that by daily offering our lives to God for how he would use us. And so when we think about that, we say, how would God use us? And when we think about this definition of gratitude or thankfulness, we see it's an act of worship. And so that means that gratitude and thankfulness ought to be a trademark of how we live our lives. Because worship is what? How we live our lives. Again, that's not to say that only Christians are able to demonstrate gratitude or thankfulness. Okay? And so I hope you're not getting that from what I'm saying. Because, but ultimately, as Christians, really we're the only ones that can give thanks for God for who he is. Because we're the ones that have been redeemed from our old life. We've experienced the saving grace of God. And so we can give thanks for who he is and what he's done. But more than that, it's not just about being a happy person. You know, you only have to understand the common language of the day, which is about positivity and positive vibes to know that not only Christians are talking about being happy and speaking happy. But the real question is, does your language demonstrate the worthiness of God? Do you speak about the goodness of God? When you think about what Jesus has done for you, does that result in language that demonstrates how worthy he is to be praised? Or is it something that is purely heartfelt? And I make that point because I guess in English or Western culture, we can struggle with this concept, can't we? Because this is talking about being expressive. And in Western or English culture, we're quite reserved naturally, aren't we? We naturally are, yeah, you might share your happiness with some people that you know, but ultimately you, you stay quite reserved. And this is where I talk about the culture of the kingdom. Because what it says is that if you're in the kingdom, what that ought to look like is how you speak. And if we're talking about active, grateful language, then that means that on a regular basis, we ought to be expressing the goodness of God. And that goes against what we know or what we understand within Western culture, doesn't it? Because if we're meant to be reserved, but then the gospel says or the Bible says that we should be actively expressing the goodness of God and regularly expressing the goodness of God. And so that's a challenge though, isn't it? Because irrespective of how you've grown up, irrespective of the cultural environment you've grown up in, if you're going to demonstrate biblical thankfulness, it will be demonstrated by your language. And yes, there's verbal and non-verbal communication. But unless you're going to walk around saying nothing and just pointing to the sky... No one's going to understand. And, even, and I suggest that even just by doing that, they're not going to understand. 
They're going to be looking up, waiting for them to fall down on their heads, but they're not going to understand that you're giving glory and praise to God. Ultimately, your language has to demonstrate and denote the worthiness of God. Ascribe to him the worthiness that is due, purely and solely to him. And in scripture, there's so many passages that speak of the gratefulness and gratitude of what God has done. And later we're going to end in a passage together. But if you turn to Psalms chapter 66 and verse 1 through 5, we'll see what David writes. He says, shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. Right there it says, your language should be joyful praise. Sing about the glory of his name. What are we talking about? About when we demonstrate the worthiness of God and how we're grateful, we're singing about how worthy he is to be praised. Tell the world how glorious he is. Everywhere you go, that is, demonstrate how worthy God is to be praised. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. You know, that word awesome, I, I've stopped using it. Because so often we use the word awesome and there's very few things that are actually awe-inspiring, but we use it. and we, Anyway, that's an aside. But anyway, sing praises back to him is what he's saying. Speak back God's praises to him. Tell him how wonderful he is. Let that be what flows from your heart. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Everything on earth will praise you. The Bible says if we don't cry out, the rocks will cry out instead. That's not just every living thing. That's every living thing and everything that has been made will worship him. You say, well, how does everything that has been made worship him? This chair that you're sitting on actually worships God. How does it? Because it harks back to the man or woman that, that thought of the idea to make the chair. And then what that, does that speak of? The creator who created the man and woman to make that chair. So ultimately, everything that we enjoy has been made. And so we can give praise to God for who he is because he's given the wisdom to do those things. And so everything on the earth will praise God. They will sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious songs. And so, yes, we will come together and sing as an act of worship that proclaim how glorious God is. But that's also why it's important that we sing the right songs. We don't just sing about how God makes us feel. Because as I said before, how you feel will change. But the truth of who God is, the truth of who God is and what you know him to be because of what the Bible says will not change. Heaven and earth will pass away, but you will remain, is what the Bible says. So irrespective of what we face and what we feel, it's important that when we come together, we sing about who he is. Because when you come to church and you're not feeling great, that doesn't change who he is. When you've had a bad time or a difficult day and you're singing songs at home, that doesn't change who he is. And so when you sing those songs about who he is, what you'll find is that you come up. Your spirit is lifted because you remind yourself of who God is. Because he's worthy to be praised. Always. Come and see, verse 5 says, what God has done. What awesome miracles he performs for people. 
And that's just it. That, that's just it. That's a heart that overflows and says, come and look and see what God has done. And at the end, which will be in a minute, I give us an opportunity to say, come and look. Come and see what God has done in my life. And you know what? The Bible says we overcome by the power of our testimony. What does that mean? That means that if I give praise for what God has done, if you're in a situation, your faith can rise. Because you can see what God has done for someone else. And you can say, God, if you've done it for him, if you've done it for her, you can do it for me. Because you're the same God yesterday, today and forever. And that's why at the end I'm going to encourage you, please, come forward. Come and see either Eli or Vicky or Tony on the front row. And let's give praise to God for what he's done. The fact that we're at the end of another year is reason to give thanks to God. Because within this room, I'm sure we know of people who didn't make it to the end of 2018. And that alone is reason to give all glory and all praise to God. So in our home, we've got a book called The Valley of Vision. And it's a book of prayers. I'm going to read one out for us. It says, Oh my God, thou fairest greatest, first of all objects. My heart admires, adores, loves thee, for my little vessel is as full as it can be. And I would pour out all that fullness before thee in ceaseless flow. When I think upon and converse with thee, 10,000 delightful thoughts spring up. 10,000 sources of pleasure are unsealed. 10,000 refreshing joys spread over my heart, crowding into every moment of happiness. I bless thee for the soul... For the soul has created, for adorning it, sanctifying it, though it is fixed in barren soil. For the body thou hast given me, for preserving its strength and vigour, for providing senses to enjoy delights, for the ease and freedom of my limbs, for hands, eyes, ears that do thy bidding, for thy royal bounty providing my daily support, for a full table and overflowing cup, for appetite, taste, sweetness, for social joys of relatives and friends, for ability to serve others, for a heart that feels sorrows and necessities, for a mind to care for my fellow men, for opportunities of spreading happiness around, for loved ones in the joys of heaven, for my own expectation of seeing thee clearly. I love thee above the powers of language to express, for what thou art to thy creatures. Increase my love, O my God, through time and eternity. It's a great prayer, isn't it? But how many of us can truly pray that prayer? And actually overflow with thankfulness. It says, for the body thou hast given me. Some of us will say, well, I don't have the beach body I used to have, so I'm no longer happy. But God's still giving you a functioning body. And that alone is reason to give him praise. It talks about senses to taste. Some of us take for granted the meal that we have. Only a few months ago or a few weeks ago, Vicky gave a testimony of a family here in the West that didn't have enough food to eat. But yet we'll take for granted the fact that we can sit at a table or go down to KFC or go down to Tesco and buy some food and enjoy the tastes for a mind. That we can think about others. 
for, for relatives. Over Christmas, I know relatives can probably get a bit much. And sometimes you think, right, it's time to go home and be in my own space. But the fact that we have relatives that we can spend time with or people that are so close to us that we consider them brothers, we ought to overflow with thanks. So even if you're looking at your life and God's not done any major miracles, there is plenty of reason for us to give God thanks. And plenty of reason for, as this prayer says, to overflow with 10,000 praises to God. That's not just to put a number on it. That's just to say so vast amount of praises to God for who he is and what he's done. There is ample reason for us to give God thanks. Irrespective of the things that you might not have seen in this year. Things that you were expecting to see that God's not done yet. There's still reason to give God thanks. Is your heart overflowing with thankfulness to God? Or are you saying, well, you've not, you've not done this yet. We wake up in the morning, we get out of bed, and we go about our day, our daily routine. I'm saying this to challenge you, because every day there's reason to give God thanks. Every morning there's reason to give God thanks. That song that says, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. That's saying, God, I realize that the breath I'm breathing is your grace. It's what you've given me. I might take it for granted, but it's your breath. So I praise you for it. Some of us have jobs. We thank God for it. It might not be the job that you want, but the fact that God has given you the ability to go out and make money so that you can buy food and pay rent and do all this, do X, Y, and Z, that's reason to give God thanks. Or are we so caught up or consumed in what we expect to be a living standard that we can no longer see the goodness or the mercies of God in that. The fact that God allows us and gives us strength to go out and work. Gives us the mind to create businesses. Gives us the, the mind to, to go out and look for work and to think about work. Are we giving God thanks for those things? Or is it that we take it for granted because I've been working for 20 years? For all the days of my life, as, as soon as I could work, I was working. So I'm used to working. That we can go down in the kitchen, get a nice cup of tea. And it's a challenge to myself. Because even as I say this, there are so many things I take for granted. Meals, I take for granted. Probably eating way too quick. But there's reason enough to give God thanks. Because there are brothers and sisters, not even just in the West, around the world, who don't have meals to, have to eat. Who struggle to find food to eat. And so, to close out, I would like us to stand to our feet. And what I want us to do is read a passage of scripture together. And it's a bit of a call and response. And it's a passage in Psalms. And the second line is, his love, his faithful love endures forever. So that's going to be like your line. All right, I'll read the first line, you guys read the second line. And we're going to give thanks corporately as we read through this passage. Okay. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. And if we continue through this, let your faith rise. Let joy rise up in your hearts. So give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. The sun to rule the day. And the moon and the stars to rule the night. Give thanks to him who killed can't see it. The firstborn of Egypt. He brought Israel out of Egypt. He acted with a strong hand and powerful arm. Give thanks to him. Who parted the Red Sea. I should have it written down. He led Israel safely through. With a... Nope. 15. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness... To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. A heritage to Israel, his servants. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. And rescued us from our foes. He gives us all, he gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Amen. And so, as I said before, I would really love, before the worship team come up, for maybe two, two people who are thankful of something that God has done this year. Come forward and make yourself known and then we can, we can celebrate with you. We can rejoice for what God has done. Um, if the first person wants to come up when you're ready, I'll get his microphone over here. Keep them short. Um, we don't have loads of time, but 